Welcome to Global Dispatches, a podcast about foreign policy and world affairs. I'm your host, Mark Leon Goldberg, editor of UN Dispatch. And in this show, we discuss topical global issues, have conversations with foreign affairs thought leaders and newsmakers, and give you the context you need to understand the world today. Go to globaldispatchespodcast.com to learn more. And now on with the show. Sometimes you just gotta walk away. That is how Donald Trump described the failure of he and North Korean leader Kim Jong-un to come to an agreement during their summit in Hanoi, Vietnam. So now that this meeting has ended in failure, what comes next for nuclear diplomacy with North Korea? On the line with me to discuss the events in Hanoi and talk through possible scenarios for future engagement with North Korea is Kelsey Davenport, the Director of Nonproliferation Policy at the Arms Control Association. We kick off discussing why this summit ended without any agreement and discuss the events leading up to this Hanoi meeting, including the first summit between these two men in Singapore eight months ago. We then have a longer conversation about what the next iteration of diplomacy between the United States and North Korea might look like. So I caught up with Kelsey Davenport really just hours after the meeting in Hanoi ended in failure. I then quickly turned around and published this episode early for my premium subscribers to the podcast. This is just one of many bonuses that you unlock as a premium subscriber to the show. Not only do you get the satisfaction of helping me shine a spotlight on undercovered global stories and keep this independent podcast independent, uh, you also get rewards like early releases of episodes and also my daily news clips service. My partner and I go through global news every single day and we send it to your inbox every single weekday morning. The service is called Don's Digest. It's a premium subscription service to which many leading organizations subscribe. I also make it available to individuals who support the show on Patreon as a thank you. I'll post a link in the description field of the podcast episode in iTunes and everywhere else that you're listening to the show. And you can click on that link and it'll take you to the Patreon page where you can make a recurring contribution to the show and unlock all these great rewards. Thank you. All right. Now here is my conversation with Kelsey Davenport of the Arms Control Association. Looking for a trustworthy podcast to bring you unfiltered viewpoints and experiences on global health? Tune into Global Health Matters, the podcast that connects silos and amplifies diverse voices to give you a holistic picture. Each month, Dr. Gary Aslanian from the World Health Organization hosts discussions with guests spanning former ministers of health, award-winning journalists and authors, and frontline public health workers. Join listeners from across 180 countries for an exciting Season 4, launching in June. Global Health Matters is available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and YouTube. Well, the United States and North Korea are already playing the blame game regarding the failure of the Hanoi summit to produce a tangible outcome. So it's not clear exactly why the meetings ended abruptly without any declaration from Trump and Kim as originally planned. 
In his press conference following the summit, President Trump said that North Korea was requesting that all sanctions be lifted and wasn't willing to put enough of its nuclear program on the table for that to be a viable offer for the United States. So Trump said he had to walk away from that deal. North Korea, unsurprisingly, is telling a slightly different story. North Korea's foreign minister in a press conference after the summit said that North Korea was only asking for partial sanctions relief and in return was willing to put a verifiable dismantlement of its uranium and plutonium production facilities at Yongbyon on the table. But the United States wanted more, wanted another facility on the table, and that wasn't a step that North Korea was willing to take. And so clearly both sides weren't able to bridge the gaps on what a deal regarding kind of sanctions relief in exchange for nuclear concessions could look like. Uh, so the summit ended without any agreement and without a clear path forward, although the United States has said that negotiations should continue and Pompeo indicated that you know working level talks will try in the future to bridge these gaps. So you said that um, there are slightly competing narratives being put forward by the Trump administration and the North Koreans. What do you suspect happened? Well, it's always difficult to say in in these types of scenarios if the negotiators failed to reach agreement on an outcome leading into the summit. And then, you know, Trump and Kim were left to try to hammer out the details themselves, you know, or if a more modest deal was on the table and then, you know, either Trump or Kim, you know, tried to, you know, insist on last minute changes or, or move the goalposts on what that agreement should look like. You know, unfortunately with both Trump and North Korea, you know, neither has a stellar track record for telling the truth. So we may never get a clear picture. I imagine it's probably somewhere in between Trump's account and the North Korean account that there were details that regarding the extent of sanctions relief and the exact nature of the nuclear commitments that just couldn't be resolved. But that's the nature of diplomacy. Any negotiations on denuclearization in particular are going to be difficult. They're going to be complex and highly technical. So it's worth taking the time, you know, to get those details right to ensure that we get a good deal. You know, but at the same time, you know, the Trump administration still needs to act with urgency. Um, So I'd like to maybe take a a step back and set the context for this meeting in Hanoi by going back to to Singapore. Um, You know, First of all, can you explain like what happened in Singapore and why was it so different from what happened in, in Hanoi? Uh, and then let's talk about what had been achieved in sort of that interim between Singapore and, and Hanoi. Well, the Singapore summit last June was the first head of state meeting between a U.S. president and a North Korean leader. So it was a historic meeting from that perspective. And it produced a vague document that outlined the goals of the negotiating process. You know, amongst them were denuclearization of the Korean Peninsula and building peace and security on the Korean Peninsula. But what the negotiations in Singapore did not do was set up a process to allow the United States and North Korea to negotiate steps toward those goals agreed upon in Singapore. So really, after the Singapore summit, negotiations stalled, largely because the United States and North Korea had very different ideas on how to move forward. 
you know, North Korea clearly wanted a step-by-step approach that traded actions on denuclearization for actions from the United States, you know, such as signing a declaration ending the Korean War or limited sanctions relief. You know, the United States, however, wanted to front-load denuclearization commitments and was insisting that the United or was insisting that North Korea complete the denuclearization process before any sanctions relief would be put on the table. And that really was unacceptable to North Korea. So not only did you have these differences in approach, but the United States didn't have its team together post-Singapore. The Trump administration did not name a special envoy for North Korea to really lead these talks at the working level until more than two months after the Singapore summit. So, you know, it was poor process and poor planning post-Singapore that really led to a stalemate. And as a result, you know, in the you know, eight months since the June meeting, there's been no progress on denuclearization and there's been no progress on building peace and stability. So while there has been no progress, the status quo, at least, you know, for me, and I'm happy to have you push back, seems like sort of acceptable right now, right? Like you have the Trump administration and Donald Trump particularly not blustering bellicosity, not threatening war. And meanwhile, you have Kim Jong-un and the North Koreans not testing their nuclear weapons and not testing their missile capabilities. I think last time when you and I spoke, which was, uh, you know, way before the the Singapore summit was sort of in the midst of this kind of um, hyperventilating by the Trump administration, that the uh, North Koreans were testing their missiles at like a pretty rapid pace, but those missile tests seem to have stopped and um, the sort of threats of war by the U.S. seem to have stopped. Isn't that sort of like the best we can hope for? And isn't that current status quo like pretty okay? Well, certainly we're in a better place now than we were in late 2017 when North Korea was accelerating long-range missile testing and the United States was you know, threatening Pyongyang with fire and fury. I mean, we were definitely much closer to conflict and there was an increased risk of miscalculation or escalation you know, during that time frame. And, you know, now, you know, with diplomacy ongoing, you know, there's less of a risk of conflict. And it's true, ahead of the Singapore meeting, North Korea agreed to refrain from nuclear testing and long-range ballistic missile testing. So that does prevent Pyongyang from making certain qualitative advancements to its nuclear weapons program. You know, however, with the talk stalled, you know, North Korea really benefits from this scenario, I think far more than the United States. You know, right now, North Korea is free to continue expanding its nuclear arsenal. You know, there are no constraints on the production of nuclear material uh, for weapons. And the country is enjoying the benefits that come from the perception that Kim Jong-un is engaged in good faith diplomacy. North Korea is less diplomatically isolated than it was in 2017. And despite the United States saying that sanctions would remain in place and maximum pressure would continue, you know, we've seen slippage on sanctions enforcement. So North Korea, I think, is benefiting from engaging in diplomacy, even when it hasn't taken steps to actually reduce the threat posed by its nuclear weapons program or roll it back. I guess, is that like, problematic, though. I mean, 
to the extent that they are not as threatening as they were before the talks continued, why is that a problem that they are sort of gaining a little diplomatically from the perception of engaging in talks? Well, as I said, this is certainly a preferable scenario to what we saw in 2017. But if the Trump administration doesn't seize this unique opportunity to make progress on you know, negotiations that actually reduce the risk posed by North Korea's program and contribute to denuclearization, you know, North Korea's nuclear weapons program will continue to grow. And I think there's greater risk of a de facto recognition of North Korea as a nuclear armed state. I mean, as we're watching what's happening in Hanoi, there's an escalating conflict between India and Pakistan, you know, both nuclear armed states. And I think that's a prime example of what can happen when you miss opportunities to head off nuclear programs in their infancy. Uh, You know, so now we're seeing, you know, two nuclear armed countries, you know, engaging in brinksmanship. And that really increases the chances of, of a nuclear conflict. So, you know, allowing North Korea to continue to expand its nuclear weapons program. And when we have a viable diplomatic opportunity to roll it back, I think not only, you know, perpetuates instability in the region, uh, but it's also just detrimental to the nonproliferation regime writ large. Um, So you described earlier this sort of breakdown of talks as essentially resulting over the fact that, you know, North Korea didn't want it to nuclearize before it had guarantees on sanctions relief and the U.S. didn't want to you know, guarantee any sanctions relief before there was like a robust, you know, inspection and monitoring regime, I I suppose. Um, So isn't like a way out of that impasse, some sort of like graduated, um, graduated process of, you know, sanctions relief for some inspections, and you sort of ramp those up, uh, you know, over time, what are experts like, like you sort of thinking of as, as a potential sort of way out of this impasse? Like what would a good diplomatic agreement look like? Well, I think that a lot of experts, including myself, hoped that we'd see an incremental step come out of the Hanoi summit that traded concrete verifiable actions on denuclearizations for limited sanctions relief. And there are indications that the Trump administration is now willing to pursue a more incremental approach and willing to put some concessions on the table earlier in the process. So that's positive, and, and that's a shift in the last few months in the Trump administration's position. And I think experts you know, had hoped that coming out of the Hanoi summit, negotiators may agree to the verifiable dismantlement of the Yongbyon nuclear complex, which is a main nuclear site in North Korea's nuclear weapons program. It produces plutonium and uranium for um, nuclear weapons. And, you know, in return, if North Korea was willing to verifiably dismantle that site, the United States would put some limited sanctions relief on the table. U.S. officials kind of hinted that a deal like that you know, might be possible in the lead up to Hanoi. And, and I think that would have been a good deal because it would have tested Kim Jong-un's commitment to denuclearization uh, by putting that, by, you know, agreeing to dismantle that young beyond complex. And that would have been a critical step toward denuclearization. You know, at the same time, it would also demonstrate to North Korea 
that the United States was willing to take steps that addressed its economic and security concerns you know, in return for concrete action on denuclearization. So given the history of mistrust between these two countries and given the difficulty of negotiating you know, one deal that includes everything necessary for the complete verifiable dismantlement of North Korea's nuclear pro weapons program, you know, I think that an incremental approach is a much smarter way to go. It builds confidence and it can build momentum in, in the process. And do you think that's where negotiations will, will turn next? I mean, one thing that was kind of remarkable, um, at least from sort of the optics of the meeting, was how like cheerful Trump seemed at the negotiating, uh, you know, despite the fact that the negotiations failed, um, he, you know, was sort of optimistic that there was a, you know, a path forward and sort of maintained that he had this great relationship with Kim Jong-un, which, you know, I take it these personal relationships are, are very important to him. Well, President Trump's optimism that a deal is possible, you know, his, you know, his reference to continued talks, you know, are, you know, certainly positive. You know, I think what's critical for this process to be successful is that both Trump and Kim empower their lower level negotiators uh, to actually hammer out the details and close the gaps you know, between the U.S. and North Korean positions. You know, I think it's clear, you know, reading between the lines from both the North Korean foreign minister statement and Trump's press conference that, you know, some type of incremental agreement, you know, would be acceptable, you know, to both sides. I mean, as described, you know, neither the U.S. or North Korean proposals, you know, appeared to be, you know, kind of the big deal, you know, that, that encompassed everything. Uh, so I think that, you know, going forward, you know, if the United States and North Korea can get back to the negotiating table at the working group level, you know, hammering out, you know, a next step for both North Korea and the United States, you know, is possible. And that's far better than trying to continue negotiations at the head of state level. It's just not practical or realistic for Trump and Kim to be sitting at the table, you know, negotiating on the technical details for what's going to be a very long, complex and detailed negotiation. Um, can you talk a little bit about some of like the broader like regional and diplomatic implications of this outcome in, in Hanoi. So for example, Moon Jae-in, the president of, of South Korea, he's really been like a champion of, of these kinds of peace talks and of, of sort of concrete um, de-escalation uh, of hostilities between the United States and, and North Korea. What position does this Hanoi outcome put him in now? Moon Jae-in has championed the diplomatic process, you know, from the beginning. And it's really thanks to his efforts and the efforts with the inter-Korean dialogue that space was opened for the United States and North Korea to pursue diplomacy. So he deserves, you know, a lot of credit for kind of setting the table for, for Trump and Kim to try to make progress. You know, one thing that I think was really unfortunate about President Trump's press conference was that, you know, he admitted that he didn't talk to Moon uh, before ending the talks early. And he continued to complain about the cost of the U.S.-South Korean military alliance and the cost of uh, continuing joint military exercises. And this is despite the fact that South Korea just agreed to pay, you know, for a greater share of housing you know, U.S. troops in South Korea. You know, so one thing that I think is critical 
you know, that the Trump administration has to keep in mind, you know, are the interests and the desires of the Moon government and the South Korean people. And the United States, you know, needs to, you know, continue to support the inter-Korean process. I mean, one element that's, I think, becoming increasingly clear is that U.S. and U.N. sanctions are holding up some of Moon's projects that he wants to pursue with North Korea in order to continue rebuilding the South-North relationship. Uh, so one thing that the Trump administration could do to demonstrate that, you know, despite this stalemate coming out of Hanoi, you know, despite not reaching an agreement, uh, the United States still supports talks, you know, is to you know, maybe put some waivers on the table that would allow Moon to commence with some of those inter-Korean projects. Mm-hmm. And that might be one way to demonstrate alliance solidarity and to show continued support for talks, even though the United States and North Korea haven't reached an agreement on the next steps. In the next weeks and and days and months, what will you be looking towards to suggest to you how sort of diplomacy between the United States and North Korea will will shake out one way or the other? Are there sort of next Mm -hmm. steps? Are there inflection points or any um, indicators to you one way or another that would suggest to you how, how this will play out? Well, I'm going to be watching the movements of U.S. Special Envoy Steve Began you know, very carefully. I think if talks are you know, going to continue between the United States and North Korea, you know, it's most appropriate that they do so you know, at the lead negotiator level. So Began's travels, his remarks, who he's meeting with, what he's pursuing, I think could be an indication of you know whether or not diplomacy is stalled after the summit, you know, or if the United States and North Korea recognized that you know even though Trump and Kim failed to reach an agreement, you know, there's still space for diplomacy, and you know, that they have to seize this moment you know, to hammer out those remaining gaps and, and come to an agreement. Uh, so certainly, I think you know his actions and you know, what what Began does is going to be critical. Uh, well, Kelsey, thank you so much for your time. This was very helpful. Well, thank you for having me on. All right, thank you all for listening. Thank you to Kelsey. That was very helpful. And um, yeah, like I said, it really does set the context for what happens going forward and how to understand the next iteration of diplomacy between the United States and North Korea. It'll be interesting to see where this shakes out. And do become a premium subscriber to the show. You'll get early releases of episodes like this one and also other great bonuses. And you get to help me put on the show every single week, twice a week. Thank you in advance. I so appreciate your support. You really do help keep the lights on uh, around here. You know, it's not always that we have advertisers and your contribution, your support helps keep the show's lights on. All right, see you later. Bye.